This is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Resident Evil 2. Developed and published by Capcom, this game released worldwide for PS4, Windows, and Xbox One on January 25th of this year, 2019. However, the original Resident Evil 2 was released in 1998 for the PlayStation. Yeah, kind of crazy to think that's been 20 years already. And that's kind of where we picked this game, too. We've already played Resident Evil once for the podcast. Maybe not Josh's cup of tea, but I thought that this would be worth reviewing, not just because Resident Evil is awesome, which it is, but because this is kind of a new take on something that's going on in the industry. So a lot of people are doing the remakes. I'm sure you guys have seen those around everywhere, right? HD remasters, remakes, etc. Yeah, pretty much. They just throw new textures on it and call it good. And sometimes it works out, most of the time it doesn't. Usually you're just pissed off you spend another 60 bucks. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the really cool thing about this was it wasn't a remake. It was like a, a complete reimagining of the game. Like They took what they made 20 years ago. They kept just enough of the original to make it feel like its old self. But then they also totally refreshed it and made it completely modern. So that was, a, I thought, really cool and something we could talk about. Now, I have a couple questions about that because I never played the original RE2. Um, I've gone through this one now, and what's the differences between the two? Uh, basic, imagine the basic structure is about the same. Um, the story is the same. You're in the police station, you know, you go down to the lab and all that stuff is, is about the same. Uh, but first of all, the mechanics. I can't tell you how different that is. Like, they remade Resident Evil 1 for GameCube. Um, now, granted, that was a 15-year-old game back when they remade that, too, but they kept all the old systems in place. It was just an upgrade of the graphics, pretty much. When you say kept old systems in place, I remember RE1 and 2 on the PlayStation being notorious for tank controls, fixed cam reviews, things like that. Oh, it was... I won't say it was horrible. It it did what they meant for it to do, and it worked within the construct of the hardware they were working with at the time. But yes, you had terrible cameras and controls and a whole bunch of other things too. While they did keep some of the same maps and things like that, they totally updated level design. Uh, They kept some basic ideas of the previous puzzles, but gave them new life. It's just 20 years worth of quality of life updates, basically, between these games. But they kept just enough of the original that it still felt uniquely Resident Evil 2 without being a whole new thing. If I'm thinking of some of the things that resonated to is, to, with me as being distinctly modern compared to what might have gone on in a PlayStation or GameCube era game, the map is one. Uh, the UI on the map is super helpful and awesome. It's something that allows you to uh, make sure that you've cleared an area before moving on. Uh, it's worth mentioning that you're performing puzzles to continue advancing yourself through the areas in this game to open them up and continue to go further and further into each area. And the map does this great thing of turning areas blue once you've cleared them of interactable objects or puzzle-driven objects or even supplies that you can use for uh, crafting or combat. I thought that was a great bit of game design there that you could take a quick look and at a glance realize if there's still something to do in that room. Yeah, and if you leave something behind that you saw, it will actually mark it on the map for you too. Because the way the inventory system works, and we'll talk about this, I know... Uh, it's all about resource and supplies and you can only carry so much and you can only have so much and that adds to the tension. So sometimes you'll see something out in the world and you'll be like, I really need that. But then you look at your empty slots and you realize like, well, I'd have to give up something else that I'm pretty sure I need very badly. And you almost like, well, I'll have to leave it for now. Hopefully I can get back to it later. 
Yeah, the main um, sort of mode of upgrade in terms of your character advancing in terms of combat is upgrades to their inventory and getting additional guns, which in turn take up additional inventory space. Well, as well as upgrades to the weapons you have already, too. I thought that was a nice touch. Guys, we're getting kind of far into this. For those of us that don't know what Resident too much about Resident Evil, this is basically your classic, I'll call it zombie horror game, but it's a lot more than that, too. Uh, I know we've talked about the action aspects of it and the fact that they kind of made it an over-the-shoulder shooter, but that's really like secondary to this whole thing it's mainly an exploration and uh it's all about exploration resource management and uh puzzling yeah so you play as a police officer leon kennedy or interestingly a college student claire redfield as they try to escape raccoon city after entering it so the first thing you do once you arrive time to escape yeah gotta and, get uh, out of there <laughs> <laughs> like, shit's fucked up in here we gotta go <laughs> hey guys yeah. maybe it's not the best idea to drive into a zombie infested city <laughs> Seriously, uh, you do have to do a little bit of suspension of disbelief due to the campiness of this story. But hey, you know, it's horror. It kind of comes with the territory. Dude, this was 90s. They didn't have cell phones. He was just trying to make it to his first day of work and they weren't calling him back. <laughs> he didn't know, as you wouldn't, that people were eating people. That's not your first go to. So he just went ahead and tried to show up anyway. I never went through a Claire run. I understand she was looking for her brother in the plot. So sure, that makes sense. But this guy's just like, well, guess it's my first day of work. Never been to the city before. I guess there's zombies everywhere. This job sucks. Actually, <laughs> so Claire is the sister of the protagonist from the first game. Chris Redfield is the protagonist of RE1 and 5, just like Leon is the protagonist of both 2 and four they kind of switch back and forth a lot uh down through the series seven the one we played was completely unrelated i wasn't chris redfield in that one too in one of the dlcs or expanded campaigns or something yeah he was in the first dlc uh it's interesting that there do see there are those through lines across the series and they're sort of weaving the story between the games I guess we should talk a little bit about sort of the progression you make your way through in this game. Uh, the first area that you're in being the police station, which I think is just a marvel of level design. Uh, it's, you know, fully architecturally realized. It has tons of unique details and interesting, um, you know, lived in item placement, things of that nature. It just really opens with a strong first step, in my opinion. Yeah, everything just makes sense as to what it is and where it is. So, and that was one thing that was really cool that this game did that expanded on RE1. And Resident Evil 1, you're in this, the entire game takes place in a mansion that's just so large that Jeff Bezos couldn't fucking afford it. Like, it's, it makes <laughs> no sense. So, having the second one be in a municipal building, it just felt more believable, right? There are buildings that large, it totally makes sense. And Brian, you're right. Like, every piece was there for a reason. It didn't feel like they were just having this large building for the sake of having a large building. There's a point early on in the game where you find out that this police station isn't just a police station, but the police station moved into an art museum. And then it started making sense to me because I'm like, this doesn't look like a dingy little municipal building to me. This is like a grand, vast sort of thing. And it was fun to go through, really fun to explore. 
And um, I really appreciated the shortcut system that they had in that game, too, where, you know, you let down a ladder or you unlock a door from the other side, and then you can get around the place a lot more easily. It felt um, there, like there wasn't so much backtracking you had to do. I, I totally agree. The, uh, the police department has your first big hub area, that lobby, and the whole first act of the game is built around that large central area. It really helps you build like a mental map of what's going on uh, in the, uh, the police station, and as you continue to weave back and forth through the various halls and re-emerge back into that central lobby, you can breathe a sigh of relief when you can go down and visit Marvin, your first NPC you see, and see that he's slowly degrading. Save your game, maybe stash some items, and uh, move on to your next challenge. Yeah, so, Brian, I know you're a huge fan of Dark Souls, and you always like to attribute this kind of level design to Dark Souls, but I'm going to call bullshit here, because clearly (laughs) Resident Evil has been doing it since 1998. I think hub and spoke is pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It is. I think I, I like to call out Dark Souls for doing this extremely well, but this game obviously does it extremely well also. Uh, it's it's a hallmark of Metroidvania games, regardless of the platform and era they're in or on. But it's something I like, you know, going back to a familiar area and seeing, oh, this connects there. It's just such a, a good feeling when you sort of get to put together the map of a place in your brain using your spatial reasoning skills. Yeah, and I like how they use the environment as a, as a puzzle, too. Like, like we were talking about, the way you progress, you'll find a key and you're like, oh, I remember a couple doors that I saw on the other side of the building where that key might work. And then because of the way this game works, it's a risk versus reward. You're like, well, I could go over there and see what's in there, but I didn't really clear out that hallway because I had to run. Now that might be totally infested and I might not even be able to get back there. And you have to decide, is it worth it? Is the risk worth taking to get over there to see what's behind that door? Yeah, totally. And that risk becomes especially pronounced once you get through the first few puzzles of the game and you start to be pursued by... Mr. X. We're talking about Tyron already. Okay. Yes. So I wanted to mention it earlier. You kept talking about how that main hall is like a sigh of relief and you can relax finally. But this game is so good at not letting you put the brakes on that as soon as you feel safe, as soon as you feel like you got it, they flip it on you. As soon as you get start getting pursued, that safe place in the, in the middle, that, that main lobby, nope, not safe anymore. He can chase you right through there. Of course, Marvin turns, but that's no big deal. <laughs> Oh no, a zombie. (laughs) Yeah, so to put some context around that statement, uh, Mr. X is a nine-foot-tall detective-looking monster, and after a certain point in the game, he's introduced to basically just constantly provide a low-level feeling of tension as he pursues you throughout the police station relentlessly for the rest of the game. (laughs) Constantly. Well, and I I will say, as much as I hated him, he's probably one of the better game design things that they did like they had to decide a good balance between it's too much and you're not having any fun or you're not able to get anything done. And then also not too little that he's not challenging. And they had to like get that right in the middle. I, I will say generally speaking, he's extremely well done. There was one place on both playthroughs that his presence just became complete BS. And that's when you're doing the uh, bookshelf sliding library puzzle. I was just going to say that. Yep. <laughs> I had to kite him around that room upwards of 20 times on each playthrough just to like keep him from pummeling my face into the side of the wall. So because I knew it was coming on my third playthrough, I prepped the room. So in my first playthrough, <laughs> there were so many zombies in that room to begin with that I chose, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, you don't have to clear out every enemy, right? But if you don't 
and you have to go back there later, holy shit, it's going to be way worse. Like that west hallway in my first playthrough, that can get totally overrun, and it did. There's like 20 zombies in a hallway, and I had to get through there to get something. I'm like, well, this is never going to happen now. But uh, I thought it was really cool how they designed him because you can always hear him. Like his footsteps, you, he's got these loud thudding th footsteps that just like echo through the halls, and you're like, is he in the hallway in front of me, or is he in the floor above me and they'll sit there and listen and then as he gets closer they have this really creepy music that just slowly gets louder and louder and louder and then you're getting you know clotheslined by a giant nine foot man and it freaks you out every time so And they did that uh, really great thing with uh, 3D sound, and I don't know exactly what this is called, but it's a sound that allows you to hear something in your headphones as if it is to you know to the rear of you or above you or below you. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the uh, virtual haircut <laughs> thing. This is like the first yeah. time this was sort of introduced to the general public, but uh, it is used in spades in this game. And this game really rewards you using headphones, even if you're using like a nice stereo setup. Yeah, I was playing this in the basement with 7.1, and let me tell you, I was using every last one of those speakers trying to figure out where the hell he was all the time. He really does a good job of just increasing that sense of constant dread and panic. Again, it doesn't let you take the brakes off. Like, you get comfortable with the first thing, and then they up it a little bit, and then you're comfortable with that, and then they're like, okay, cool, here's something else. Like, they just keep adding little things just to keep, just to keep the pressure on just a little bit. One of the things I appreciated about this game, especially compared to Resident Evil 7, is I remember the sound design in that game. They would just throw random noises at you to spook you or to rise attention up, and mm -hmm. they wouldn't be related to what was happening in the game at all. It's just like, oh, let's just creep them out a little bit. And this game, when you heard something, it meant something. And that's definitely how I feel things should be in sound design. Yeah, everything had a purpose, for sure. Yeah, this game's sound was much more diegetic uh, than RE7's, and it paid off in a big way, in my opinion, as well. So uh, as you're leaving the police station, you, as Leon at least, have your first run-in with Ada, the secret agent woman <laughs> who is <laughs> investigating the, the happenings in Raccoon City. Or, if you're Claire, you run into Sherry, the child who becomes your companion for the remainder of that game as well, and as Leon, well, either way, you eventually make your way into the sewers, which serve as your second hub uh, for the game. Yeah, what'd you guys think of the, the sewers? So that first act, the police station, and you do come back a couple times back and forth, but I felt like that was probably the largest section. That probably takes up more than a third of the game by far. Yeah, I'd say it's probably like a 50%, 25%, 25% split in terms of the the three areas. Yeah, and I was fine with that. Honestly, the sewers were short, but by the time I was done with it, I was ready to be done with it. Well, the sewers are, you know, most sewer levels in games are reviled for a variety of reasons, and this game accomplishes having a sewer level that I actually don't hate. Um, yeah. It is uncomfortable. It's definitely not a place I like to be, but I think it's serving a purpose by being that way. Yeah, you're not supposed to want to be in any of these places. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. that, that means <laughs> they did their escape. job. Yeah. Yeah, it, and they, they brought interesting things into it. Um, this is probably the grossest sewer I've ever seen in a game. Games have sewer levels all over them, but this is definitely the most disgusting sewer level I've ever been in. 
to something you said before too, Brian, about uh, sewer levels are, you know, not very much appreciated or in vogue these days. You also got to remember they were remaking this game from 20 years ago and that what might be a trope now, what might be cliche, was less so back then too. And if no, everything had a sewer level back then too. <laughs> and it was the one you would always get lost in because there was no sense in the map or, or whatsoever. And it just went on forever. And all the hallways looked the same. Yeah. And I think maybe that's something that this game actually did well. There's a lot of landmarks in this sewer. It's an interesting sewer. Yeah. Um, there's stuff going <laughs> on down there. Sewers go, there's a whole lot of shit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff, too. Uh, the most memorable for me being the uh, chess piece power plug puzzles. Uh, the fucking contractors that put together the sewer decided to have a little fun and made a chess piece puzzle for the power plugs that <laughs> powered the gates and sluices of this sewer that was straight out of 1998 re2 they kept that it's really funny though i mean like what a cheesy campy goofy thing and you know they try their best to like justify it with in-game documentation and like i said (laughs) suspension of disbelief is key here because that's just goddamn ridiculous (laughs) that's like the museum too let's build a museum with a secret passageway to the parking garage (laughs) yes (laughs) because we couldn't just use the stairs that were on you know like the other side of the building, which worked just fine as well. <laughs> or the gigantic room full of machinery when you first meet um, the boss G. That seems necessary to have that huge room full of machinery to support a museum. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very powerful museum slash police station. For sure. You know, you run into a bunch of interesting stuff in this sewer. You eventually stage a rescue of whatever companion is in your uh, care at the time, be that Ada or Sherry, and then you make your way into the nest, the final area. Uh, This is the umbrella lab. This is where you're going to get a sample of that G-virus or the antivirus if you're on the clear path. One cool thing before we leave the sewer, that zombie alligator was sweet. And I will say (laughs) it, it, it took a path that most things wouldn't right normally when you see something like that this is something that recurs like 60 times before you're done with it right and it just gets old by the time you're finished with it this was like a really cool set piece it lasted for one minute and then you were done with it for good and there's like hey did you enjoy that cool let's go on to the next thing (laughs) you don't have to fight this thing 30 times I agree with that completely, and I don't know if this happened for you, but I cleared that on my first try through, and this strikes me as something that is incredibly badass if you do it one and done, but if you fail at it, it loses its potency immediately. Especially when you turn around and shoot the pipe and it just explodes like... I I, I don't remember what his cheesy line was, but but it was, oh yeah, chew on that or something stupid like that. Something straight out of NCIS. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of goofy 80s action movie one-liners in this game, Um, most of them featuring uh, the F word, because I'll tell you what, these characters have potty mouths, man. People are eating people, man! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, every every other line of dialogue from your character is like, oh, F this, like, oh, man, I can't believe this shit. (laughs) It's like, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Leon, but, you know, who are you talking to, bud? (laughs) I thought that was a, I don't know. Like when something bad would happen or enemies would respawn in a room or something like that. And 
I felt like that's just the game developers rubbing it in a little bit, being like, yeah, Leon hates this too. So do you. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, ah, oh, not again. And you're like, yeah, that's what I was saying. Come on. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Yeah. So there's also, uh, you know, always a bunch of zombies in each of these areas. And when you shoot them repeatedly in the head and they don't fall to the ground, your character will start to ex- express <laughs> exasperation. Uh, and, you know, I mean, honestly, I, he's saying what I'm thinking, man. So, like, good job, developers, in putting the catharsis on the screen for me. Yeah, because bullets are currency in this game, and you do not have anywhere near, even if you're an excellent shot and you're getting headshots every time, you do not have anywhere near enough ammo to take care of everything on the board. And you have to decide, well... I may not come back to this area, so I'm going to let them go. Or maybe I can run past and get out of this one. But you'll often get those diminishing returns we were talking about earlier, where if you leave one or two there, next time you come back, there's six or seven, and you're like, well, shit, now what do I do? I felt like the headshots to the zombie, too, were fairly random in the effects. You know, you might drop a zombie in one or two, or... You might take five or six to down it, then it comes back up again, as most of them do, and then it takes another five or six to go after it again. Like, it was hard when you saw a zombie to figure out how much currency you would have to spend to put it down, as opposed to trying to get past it some other way. I like that, too. That way you're not like, okay, well, I've got nine bullets, so that means I can handle three zombies. But uh, you also had things like your, your shotgun, which, if you headshot with a shotgun, you're pretty much guaranteed to blow the head straight off. And and that was like, that's like your gold currency. Like if I spend this, I know this is going to do the trick and it's not going to come back. So it kind of gave you some incentive to maybe try that too. Yeah. Let's cap off our discussion on the areas and then we'll, we'll dive more into the combat a little later on. Sure. Um, so as you, as you finally, you know, emerge into the, the nest at the bottom, you know, your final level, you really have only one thing on your mind, get that virus and get out. So the main conceit of this area is, um, getting increasing levels of access from badges by finding deceased lab members and uh, you know upgrading your badge to, to get access to the various parts of the, the nest. Yeah, most of them died in hilariously stupid ways too, which, which was always fun to find. I did like how the theme of the game changed too. So remember how we talked earlier about how things were continuously like progressing so that the tension was always on because they always wanted you to feel like sur- survival was your main objective, right? So they always had to make it like really tense but once you meet ada and you move into the sewers and then especially when you move into nest you're it's no longer about survival it's about saving the city it's it's about preventing this from spreading and because you feel like a badass at that point i feel like that was a really smart way to change the theme so that it still stayed interesting because if you're still trying to just survive after you've killed like a 20 foot zombie crocodile it's just not going to be believable anymore you know what i mean yeah, it's, at some point it flips, and I think it happens right before you enter the sewers from, uh, you know, I'm doing this so that I can protect myself and get out, to I'm going to put a stop to whatever's causing this. Yeah. And, you know, at that flip, it's it ceases from being about escaping to about going deeper and uncovering the, the secrets behind the origins of this situation. Which I feel like that's the natural place for it to happen. Not that it happened for me. I made it out of the basement on the police station, and that's where I'm like, "Eh, (laughs) that's enough for me. But yeah, like you guys said, if you're continually trying to survive, it's a different style than if you're actually trying to be heroic about it. And it's a change of pace, storytelling-wise, to do that. Yeah. 
I, th- I think Nest kind of shined too. I mean, for what it was. So Nest is about a little bit of exploration, but mainly it's a couple final challenges and an exclamation point at the end of all this. So all those things that have been bugging you your whole trip, whether that's uh, the guy that's been infected with the G virus or Tyrant, the guy that's been chasing you around, you finally get to face them for real. So this is almost like Boss Central a little bit, which was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. The the sort of boss rush at the end where you have a few consecutive bosses is, is really neat. It sort of allows you to try a few different tactics in terms of, you know, really stretching your legs with the weapons and ammo that you've amassed throughout the, the game. If that's at the end of the game, too, that's when you're, you've mastered all the systems as about as well as you can. You have all that experience, and now it's time to put them to the ultimate test. Tell you what, entering that last clear fight with 30 acid rounds felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It. I'd been saving my ammo, the good ammo anyway, for most of the game knowing that I was going to have to fight something at the end, and I'm glad I did. The first time I played through this game, uh, I played through as Leon. This was like last January uh, when it first came out. I didn't have enough ammo at the end to, to kill the tyrant. Like I had to play him like 50 times to just barely squeak through because I just did not have enough. I thought that the other guy was the final boss. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you blew your blew your, your <laughs> ammo wad too early. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely will happen if you don't prepare. And uh, I had an interesting situation where I, I restarted after doing the uh, police station for the first time because I took a pause on this game for a couple months. And that sort of set me up to have a real fat supply of ammo and things as I made my way through the rest of the game. And I think it made it a little too easy for me, but... I'm kind of glad too, because it could be frustrating if you reach the end and you're kind of in a terminally boned state. Uh, that's kind of what ended up happening with me in the basement is that I was out of ammo by the time I got out of there. So I was really scraping by. Um, I think I had maybe three pistol rounds left when I got to that safe room right out of there. And I feel like the game's almost punishing you for how you played before. Uh, in terms of game design, if they did something like um, a more variable amount of ammo you could find depending on how you were. Uh, if you're at a very depleted state, then maybe you get a little more to go on with it. Otherwise, I feel like the correct way for me to have played through this would have been to go through a section, reload, and then go through it again knowing what I have to do. Um, that way I'm not wasting my resources, wasting my currency, which is very limited in this game, and probably the hallmark of the game more than anything is not having enough bullets. Yeah, I mean, I never reloaded or anything like that. I think it adds to the tension, and they do have some systems to keep that in check, too. Like, did you know about the gunpowder? Hopefully you did. Yeah, yeah, I knew about the gunpowder. Okay, so so there are certain ways, like, you can mix item one with item two and get a certain type of ammo, item one with item three and you get a different kind of ammo. So you can kind of like, and they do it with the herbs too for healing and things like healing effects and things like that. But yeah, it's a way for them to allow you to tailor the type of weaponry that you feel most comfortable using. And I like that. I like that it's sort of giving you a tactical flexibility. What I don't like is it's also kind of an inventory tax. Uh, You know, them just having you pick up a bunch of gunpowder elements to later go and combine rather than just giving you the ammo. Uh, The first time you're making your way through an area, that to me functioned just like an inventory tax, which was a bit of a bummer. Especially at the very beginning when you don't have the inventory spaces for everything you need. Uh, That part didn't bother me, but I could see how it could be an issue. 
an issue or just stressful. And, you know, at the end of the day, this game is trying to stress you out. So mission accomplished. Yeah. And, and you do have to remember that you're not meant, this is not an action game. You're not meant to kill everything on screen and running is always an option, whether it's difficult or not. It It, it is always an option and you may pay for it later, but maybe that would have helped too. I don't know how you were playing if you were trying to take everything out or just trying to survive. I was mostly clearing my way through rooms, which, to be fair, at the very beginning of the game, they show you that running is a valid option, both in the shop tutorial level and when you're making your way into the police station. Um, So they did telegraph that, too, but there's also different choke points where you don't have running as an option. where you, there's a couple, I think when you're first introduced to the liquor, the first couple of times you fight one of those enemy types, or uh, when you have to get through a door or get underneath a door or something like that. So it's part of the resource management aspect of the game. And it's kind of, again, like I think it's the calling card of the series. I never played the originals, but I've heard about them. And that's one of the things people would talk about with them. Yeah. In terms of those uh, liquor enemies, uh, I took the tactic once i had read up that you can do this is just to never engage them if you walk slow enough in the room that you're in they will never see you or interact with you yeah they're blind they were too much of a bullet sponge for me to you know be able to swallow you know utilizing shotgun or grenade launcher ammo on them so i never did i just walked through every room they were ever in flashbangs also work great because that confuses the shit out of them you, you can run run right past them. So it's it's little tricks like that that I think help make it too. And some of those you don't get to your second or third playthrough, which is something we should talk about. This is meant to be a game that you play through multiple times. There's actually two different paths you can take. And then on top of that, there's the alternate path to both of those paths. So like if you play as Claire, you can... Well, what was Leon doing during Claire's playthrough? And then vice versa. So there's like four different playthroughs and they have different modes too on top of all this. It's probably what, a six to eight hour game? Yeah. Um, but that makes it just the right amount that it's not too long to do multiple playthroughs, which I thought was really cool. I actually did a Leon and a Claire. Brian, what did you do? I did a, a Leon and a Claire as well. Um, I have to say, I think I found the Claire run a little bit easier once I got out of the police station. Way easier. The grenade launcher. We talked about this before, but where Leon gets a flamethrower, she gets a grenade launcher and things like the liquor and, and some of those bosses... It's just so much easier with her. Definitely. Uh, her bosses are easier, especially her final boss, which loads you up with a nice minigun. And yeah. basically you just go to town on some uh, on the G uh, ty- or the G virus guy, William, which is very satisfying. Because you play that uh, boss a couple of times. You fight him a couple of times or three times in the game. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The third time being uh, the final fight for uh, for Claire. And yeah, I, I thought it was is really great. And I like how they separated out the weapons you got between each run, too. As you mentioned, Leon getting his pistol, shotgun, magnum, and flamethrower, and Claire getting her pistol, grenade launcher, submachine gun, uh, and the shock gun as well. The other cool thing is, like, as there are things that persist between playthroughs as well. So, like, let's say that you're the kind of person that likes to do speedruns and things like that. This game is very set up for speedruns. Um, it, it's got the constant uh, clock timer for you. Also, there's things you can do in playthrough one that'll carry over. Like, if you complete such and such a challenge, you get a certain item for the next round. So, for example, I got all the certain collectibles in one of my playthroughs. So, for this last playthrough, I had an unlimited... Um, uh, combat knife 
which we're talking about how when you put things down, they don't stay down. You can make sure they do that if you have that. That made life a lot easier, and I got through a lot quicker because of that. And they have a, worth mentioning with combat, is the sub-weapon system they have, where if a zombie or a liquor or whatever gets onto you, um, they get close enough to you, they take you down. But then if you have a sub-weapon, you can hit the button and shove them off of you. Otherwise, you take damage. Uh, they bite you or whatever they do. The dogs lick you to death. Now they channel into <laughs> you. Um I believe they eat your face, but that is a nice way to say it. Yeah. yeah you know, like licking you. <laughs> They're just so happy to see you. Yeah. Dinner. So having a sub-weapon is, is super nice in terms of it's sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card for a potentially deadly blow at any given time. So always be carrying around that knife or flashbang or grenade so that you can get out of a tight situation. There was a really cool moment where... Um, I think I had a frag grenade, or no, it was a flash grenade, um, and during that first liquor encounter, um, it was my equipped sub-weapon when I went into that fight, he tackled me, and I shoved it into his mouth, shoved him away, blew it up in his mouth, and took down a lot of health or something like that, too. He fell pretty easily after that, but nice little set piece, like finishing move kind of thing. That's pretty sweet. There, there's a cool one with the hand grenade, too. If you put a hand grenade in an enemy's mouth, they like stagger away for a second, and if you pull out your gun and manage to shoot it, it just explodes. And it's very satisfying. <laughs> oh, yeah. A la Jaws. <laughs> yeah. This game does pretty awesome cinematic things with its combat too like every interaction you have with a zombie sometimes as you kill them they'll fall on you and your character will sort of shove them off to the side or there's a just a variety of interesting little interactions your character will do just as a course of natural combat yeah well and throughout the body language that was one of the notes i took the body language in this like really goes a long way to selling it like if he gets wet he'll like like, you know, brush his arms off, run his hand through his hair, you know, try to wring things out. When he's hurt, he's constantly, like, grabbing his side. And then if he's hurt worse, he'll start limping along with that. And one really cool thing, maybe this has happened before this game, um, but you look more and more like shit the longer that you're in there. And, and, <laughs> and, and it really goes a long way to selling it. I think the first game that I ever noticed that with was uh, the Arkham series. I don't know if you guys ever played that Arkham Knight and all those but like the longer batman was in there like you'd see like tears in his cape and the next thing you know is like the chest piece would be ripped open so at the end you look haggard and worn and that really went a long way towards selling the fact that this person's been through hell and they did a really good job with that in this game too so that by the end you just look like wet trash (laughs) as opposed to how the player's thinking about it which is like oh i'm at full health i'm doing great leon would like a word with you (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You gotta be kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I want to mention, because we haven't yet, is uh, this game's graphics, while not necessarily totally top of the line, have a lot of pretty awesome stuff in it that make up for the lack of maybe pure fidelity or texture, you know, resolution. And one of those things for me was the way water was done. Um, The water was awesome. In the sewer, you can sort of have a really nice sort of flow animation going on every time you move throughout it. Um, As you said, it works well in terms of the way it stays on characters. Uh, There's a lot of water in this game. It's always raining. All of the environments feature water of some sort, and they just really nailed it with the fluids in this game. They did it with lighting, too. That was one thing I really enjoyed. You'll notice that you spend a lot of your time with a flashlight in one hand and a gun in the other, and I really liked, liked that aesthetic a lot. Like It wasn't just like... Things are dark, but you get a small cone of vision, not 
not in a way that was prohibiting you in any way from getting anything done. It just added to the aesthetic. And then the way it cast eerie shadows on everything just really sold it. Just like the fidelity with the water and with the sound, Josh, like you were talking about. It's all those things together. And the fact that they made these levels that felt like they belonged. It just, it sold the experience. There's objects where you'd expect to find them. Uh, The buildings are spatially... um, you know, contiguous and work in terms of real space, which is always a nice thing to see. Not the, you know, the, um, like Resident Evil 7, where you had the gigantic plantation mansion, which had another mansion off to the side and everything else. <laughs> yeah. it's like, Dude, my mansion has a mansion rooms? next door, too. <laughs> my mansion. My mansion's got a mansion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard you like mansions, so we put a mansion inside your mansion. <laughs> Let's go for the three word reviews. All right. All right. Let's hit it. All right, so for me, uh, this game was, sad to say, a thumbs down. I think it was a very well-designed game. Uh, A lot of elements of that that I really appreciated. Um, And there were fun moments with it. But eventually, that resource scarcity factor, that, I think, drove me out of the game. Um, I was at a point where I felt like to progress in a reasonable thing where I didn't have to go through a section three or four times in order to make it through, I would have to restart the game. And to me, that was too much work um, to keep going through. So my three-word review for this game was out of ammo, because that's how I almost perpetually felt. But if you like Resident Evil games, um, if you should definitely pick this one up, because it is a solid entry to the franchise, I feel. My three-word review is just keep running. Uh, the star of the show for me for this game was its pace. Uh, it never slows down, and it uses scarcity and a slow burn of tension from Mr. X and other factors to keep you moving forward at a sometimes uncomfortable pace. Uh, Josh, as you said, it can be a bummer when you sort of reach a point where you have no recourse, but I think the game, to me, did a, a pretty good job of trying to keep you out of that situation when it could, at least in, in my experience. Um, the story, while requiring a bit of suspension of disbelief, is also well-paced enough to keep you interested, uh, despite the campy ridiculousness. <laughs> um, and I think the quality of this remaster uh, really says to me that if this is what we can expect from the rest of the Resident Evil remaster entries that you know Capcom is working on, then I'm on board for the whole series. Two thumbs up for me. Yeah, for every thumbs down Josh gave it, I'm going to give at least two thumbs up. <laughs> uh, this was an amazing game. Uh, in, in my opinion, for a lot of reasons, when, whether you enjoy the style of game or not, I think what it's doing for the industry was, was a big win. And that's why my three-word review was, don't remake, reimagine. And it's because of games like this. Like Again, it's, it's, they didn't just slap some HD textures on it and say, here, uh, we made this 20 years ago, people seem to like it, spend 60 bucks please. It was, we're going to take this down to its core, and we're going to figure out all the things that made this uniquely Resident Evil 2 and we're going to make sure that that's there so that all the things you love and remember are there but we're going to make this a brand new refreshing and completely new experience for you and I think if if that's what uh, developers start doing with all their old gems we're in for some real good treats and I I, I know uh, we're looking at Resident not Resident Evil sorry Final Fantasy 7 that's coming out uh, supposedly every year 
since <laughs> the last seven years. <laughs> but, but they're taking kind of the same approach. They didn't want to just remake it. They wanted to completely rebuild it from the ground up. And if that's the approach they're taking, I could not be more excited. And I hope more developers kind of take this approach in the future. Well, just a quick side tangent on that. I mean, it's been 20 years since that game has come out, uh, Resident Evil 2. There's been a lot that game developers, as in collective profession have learned since then so if you take a game and just slap new graphics on it um, another the thing that I think makes games feel the most dated is not the graphics but the UI the ways you interact with the games we've learned so much since then and if you're just saying let's just do fix the graphics and call it a day then you're missing out on 20 years of collective wisdom about what to do there so thumbs up for the reimagining Absolutely. I hope we can see uh, much more of this across the industry as a whole, like Clint said. So, next month's game will be Cave Story, uh, one of the most prominent indie games in existence, and uh, at the same time, a pioneer in its field. Uh, Cave Story, the project of one man, is well-known and interesting for a variety of reasons, not the least of which being it's a pretty neat game. So, looking forward to playing that next month. Until next time, for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. All right, guys, so important thing to discuss the Resident Evil movie. I don't know trash. if you guys saw Trash. <laughs> I'm going to stop recording now. It's not worth talking about. All right. I think it really fits into the overall lore of the series in an important and truly expansive way. So let me just stop and say a minute that when I saw that movie I, and how campy the whole thing was, I assumed it was just like typical, this is how we make video games, movies kind of thing. But it was so much worse. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I had a lot to say about this, but it actually comes into its own in, in the third act. It really does kind of have some heartfelt moments. Like, it takes a moment from its campiness to be heartfelt for some times. You're talking about RE2, not the movie, right? Oh, yeah, fuck the movie. <laughs> I, I just assume we're not even talking about that shit. I think we can all agree none of us wants to talk about the movie. But yeah. It is a hilarious piece of trash. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the thing that made me think about it was when you first meet Ada in the parking garage, and she saves your life, and she's like, I'm a secret agent with the FBI. What's going on? Stop asking questions. <laughs> I'm mysterious. <laughs> well, she's yeah. lying to you the whole time, as you'll find out. It was just something to get Leon to shut the fuck up. Pretty, <laughs> yeah. pr- pretty I mean, much, they're, that's they're... what it was. There's a lot of, like, incredibly... Well, yeah, I mean, she clearly takes advantage of Leon through the story. Basically, like, when she starts him kissing him, you're like, what the fuck is that about? And it just turns out, nah, she's just taking advantage. Like, hey, don't look over here. Yeah, Leon's, like, so clueless throughout this whole game. Like, every time he realizes, like, Umbrella? Zombies? Whoa! <laughs> he's, like, there's, like, these two circles on a page, and he's, like, trying to connect them as hard as he can. He just can't figure it out. <laughs> Let's just say he's not working the homicide desk anytime soon. It's like a connected dot puzzle with two dots on it. <laughs> he's squiggling line in between. Umbrella? Zombies? <laughs> I don't get it. This is tough. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say, suspend that disbelief. You'll have a good time. But this game isn't winning any awards for writing. <laughs> no, but the themes were cool. It was all about corporate greed and innocence that's lost. 
the Resident Evil series as a whole is sort of a, you know, capitalism slash, you know, mad science gone gone wrong story. And that sort of resonates throughout the entirety of the series. Yeah? For sure. Yep. Yep.